In today's interview, we discuss a unique volunteer opportunity through the Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group and discuss the Women's Initiative Team with two guests, Major Aliyah Nadim and Major Sam Sliney. They offer some great ways to get involved as a volunteer and grow in your personal and professional development through this unique program and impact policy change in a meaningful way. For all our female airmen out there, Major Nadim and her team of volunteers were also instrumental in the updates to the new 2021 Air Force Female Hair Standards. Here are a few clips from the interview. As a volunteer, you're gonna you're gonna say, you know what? The buck stops with me. I'm gonna address this issue. For every 10 no's, I get that one person that's super excited and they're like, you know, thank you for doing this because you're gonna make my life easier or you're gonna make my troop life easier. And that, that really makes it all worth it. Welcome to the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast, where we interview leaders, innovators, and influencers on the law, leadership, and best practices of the day. And now to your host from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. Welcome to another episode from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School at Maxwell Air Force Base. I'm your host, Major Rick Hanrahan. Remember, if you like the show, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform and leaving a review. This helps us to grow an outreach to the JAG Corps and beyond. In today's show, we have two guests to discuss a unique volunteer opportunity within the Air Force that many may not be aware of called the Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group. And we plan to take a closer look at one of the main action teams within this group called the Women's Initiative Team. This is also the first interview where we've specifically addressed the aspect of volunteering. I think it goes without saying that volunteering of one's time, talent, and or treasure is not only good from a spiritual, religious, or emotional standpoint, but also from a leadership development perspective. In fact, volunteering is often the only way you may be able to get involved with certain activities like our two guests will be discussing today. I'd like to welcome our two guests, Major Aliyah Nadim and Major Sam Sliney to the show. Ladies, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Rick. Major Aliyah Nadim is a Department of Defense Legislative Fellow assigned to the Secretary of the Air Force Legislative Liaison at the Pentagon. She is assigned to Alaskan Senator Lisa Murkowski. She also chairs the Air Force Women's Initiative Team, or WIT for short, as part of the Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group, which we'll be talking about today. And our other guest is Major Sam Sliney. She's currently the Air Defense Counsel at Pope Army Airfield, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where she is responsible for providing defense services to 2,600 airmen assigned to the installation. She previously was the Deputy Staff Judge Advocate at the same installation, and prior to that position, she was assigned as Assistant Staff Judge Advocate at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina. So ladies, to get started, uh, could you provide a little more background on your current duty positions and what you do? Sure. This is uh, Sam. So as an Area Defense Counsel, uh, you know, I, I represent airmen that are pending adverse action. So I think if you are if you're a JAG, you know what that means. If you're not, um, so anytime an, an adverse action is taking against a military member, so an L, anything as small as like a verbal counseling all the way up to court martial, even something where a member is maybe just confused. I get a lot of clients that just don't, they have a problem, but they don't know who to go to. And maybe I'm not the solution, but I can direct them in the right direction. Um, and so that's, that's what I do. And I provide legal advice to those people going through 
that those pro various processes don't work for any command. I'm actually assigned uh, what used to be AFLOA, which is now the Military Justice and Discipline Directorate, and I, I represent airmen. That's what I do day in and day out. Um, and I, in my past two jobs, I was a basically a, a prosecutor. So I, I tried cases. I was on the other side. Hey, this is Aaliyah. So uh, as you said from my bio, um, I'm currently out of my um, intelligence right now, actually. Um, and so I'm doing this assignment as a legislative fellow. Uh, and by trade, I'm an intelligence professional. Uh, and I'm prior enlisted as well security forces. And then I actually commissioned into the Office of Special Investigation, OSI. Uh, so I did work with JAGS a lot when I was in OSI um, and now just kind of taking a break from Intel and I'll be going back to Intel very shortly. Great. Thank you, ladies. So to get started, what is the Air Force Barrier Analysis Working Group and how did it get started? Uh, so what this is, is it was actually mandated by Congress uh, and it came out of sort of equal opportunity. What Congress was noticing is that, uh, you know, we were having sort of all these equal opportunity issues within the Department of Defense, but nobody was actually, you know, peeking behind the curtain, if you will, to look and see what were those problems. And so they kind of, um, they actually put in legislation to do analysis on some of these barriers. So that's really how the barrier analysis working group was started is uh, it was mandated by law. And if I could ask, how did you both get involved with this group? This is Sam. So how I got involved, I became I became involved in, uh, let's see, fall of 2019. Yes. Gosh, that seems like such a long time ago um, when not really it's not really that long ago. But a uh, first sergeant um, here at Pope was involved and she said, hey, I attend these monthly meetings. I think you would really enjoy it. She sent me the calendar and invite and I started calling into our quarter, quarterly meetings. Um, was really intrigued. Uh, I do not have a policy background, but at the time I was pregnant with my first child and listening to the meetings, a lot of the information described are barriers that are faced by women um, relating to childcare or how to balance family and work. So it was just very, very timely for me. Um, my first big involvement was I helped to organize the first offsite that we had in Washington in Washington, D.C., where a bunch of women came together and we basically brainstormed and planned uh, for the upcoming years uh, lines of effort that we were going to take on as the WIT. I personally lead an effort for a breast milk ship shipment reimbursement for military members. Um, and we'll get into that, I think, a little bit later. But ever since I joined that first meeting, I, I've absolutely loved it, it's it's amazing group of uh, people, and I say people because it's not just women. Uh, we have men involved as well, uh, and it's just really amazing to see a group of people volunteer their time um, and make such impactful change. Um, the things that I have seen happen just over the last year that the WIT has made happen is is absolutely phenomenal. So, Rick, I actually got involved in 2015. Um, it, at the time, the Women's Initiative Team was led by a civilian. And uh, someone had told me that I should consider joining this team. And so I actually joined the team uh, just as a member. And I w attended a first meeting. And just like Sam said, I was fascinated by it. And I got involved in working some initiatives, specifically uh, when women transition outside of the military, whether they retire or separate. Uh, they actually have a lot um, of different challenges, higher rates of suicide, homelessness. And so uh, I actually worked with the VA to create some programs specifically for women. So that was kind of how I cut my teeth 
into the women's initiative team and just started working different initiatives. Um, and then in 2018, um, I was formally asked to take over as the women's initiative team lead. And so I, I took over in 2018 as a, and I, I want to emphasize as a volunteer. And, and this is where I would just say that, you know, when you get involved in something like this, you, you don't walk past problems anymore. Right. So a lot of times, you know, we all have grumbles about the Air Force. And this this organization is really, as a volunteer, you're going to you're gonna say, you know what, the buck stops with me. I'm going to address this issue. And most of our issues focus on women, right? So for example, you know, it's 2000 and, you know, two, 2021. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have lactation rooms up until a year ago because of the women's initiative team. So we kind of look at those things and try to get the DOD and the Air Force up to speed of how to better be inclusive of women. Well, thank you both for that. So the Women's Initiative team, it sounds as it's one of the teams within this group, this analysis working group. Could you discuss maybe just the group as a whole a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, so there's uh, the Women's Initiative team is one of six teams within the Barrier Analysis Working Group. And I know that's a mouthful, so I, I apologize up front. But within this group, um, there's the Women's Initiative team. There's the Hispanic team. There is the Asian Pacific Islander team. There's the Disability team. Uh, there's the Senior Leadership Development team. Uh, and then there's the uh, Black African American team as well. And I hope I didn't forget anybody. These are all the teams that each team sort of works these different problem sets uh, for each group. But, you know, for example, let's say that the teams that I just described doesn't fit, right, your issue. You can still bring this issue up to the whole, to the group as a whole. It doesn't necessarily have to fit one of those teams, but it's just easier for us to bin bin these things uh, specifically. And then it also helps us to work that specific issue. So there's uh, approximately five uh, working teams within the group. What's the general makeup of each of these teams, or how many uh, volunteers uh, roughly are, are we looking at here within these teams? Right, good question. So the by far the women's initiative team is the biggest. So we we're, we're about 700 folks total who are on the team. Now it doesn't mean everybody's working something. Sometimes people are just consumers of information, and so sometimes you have people like you know Sam who's who's on the line right now. You know she actually works a specific initiative. The rest of the teams are much smaller. So they're between 20 and 30 folks. So you can you can see the difference uh, of the teams, and we're probably the loudest a team. But I also think it's because there's a lot more specific challenges uh, and readiness issues with women than there are with some of the other teams. And maybe just to be clear for the listeners, this is completely a voluntary group. Yes, this is completely voluntary. The, the only thing that we ask is that if you do decide to volunteer with the team, that your you know, supervision and your leadership uh, support and, and approve you to do this because this, this could take you know, duty time. I know a lot of us, we do this you know, outside of duty time just because we have you know, full-time jobs in itself. Uh, so this question, uh, it's a little bit of a loaded question because I'm sure you can answer this in a lot of different ways depending on who the volunteer is, but what is the typical time commitment you see from volunteers within a team uh, like WIT? You know, I, I see everything from, you know, just coming to the monthly meeting. So we have monthly meetings once a month. They never change. It's the same time, the first Tuesday of the month, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So sometimes people just come an hour. They, they hear what we're doing and they spread the good word. And then there's people like Sam who probably, you know, probably at least during the week, she's giving an additional four to five hours. 
right? It, it kind of all adds up. So I've seen, I've seen everything. I've seen from, you know, one hour all the way to maybe 20 hours a week. And this is all, you know, kind of after hours. And, and, and I'll specifically say, you know, when we're working some initiatives that are going to the secretary of the Air Force or the chief of staff of the Air Force, which we have been working uh, specifically for hair policy, that team was probably working 40 hours in addition to their full-time jobs. Um, now it's it's slowed down now that it's at the 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 chief's office, but for probably you know a month, everyone was kind of doubling down uh, just to get this over the line. So it fluctuates. I guess that's a maybe better way to say it. Copy. Thank you. What are some of the biggest issues that kind of you have on your plate right now? Well, actually, you know, I, I kind of want to turn over to Sam to talk about because she's she's actually tracking one of one of our bigger issues. But the the one that I'm really uh, tracking big is, is the hair policy one. For example, you know, we didn't look, we have never revisited hair policy uh, since the inception of DOD, if, if you can believe that or not. And where this policy came is actually kind of horrific. Uh, so, you know, think of the 30s and 40s when women were first joining the, the military. There was a big debate in our country uh, of whether women could join. And it was a, it was a hot topic. And one of the things that was decided if women join or that people were scared of, is if women joined the military, they were worried that they could take married men away or that they would become lesbians. And yes, these are are real things that were discussed. So when women joined the military, uh, one of the jobs of the uh, Women's Auxiliary Corps was to ensure women didn't look too much like lesbians, but they didn't look too sexy. And so they, they designed hair policies around that balance. Again, not looking like a lesbian or not stealing somebody's husband. <laughs> it's, I know, it's, it's laughable now, right? <laughs> so, um, and I could do a whole episode on that. But, um, <laughs> but I, um, so anyways, we did a lot of research on this. And so never, but no one ever actually looked and said, does it, is operationally, is a bun operationally good for women? You know, so, Ironically enough, women who fly, uh, when they wear their helmets, they had to take their hair down. Uh, when you put your gas mask on for a woman, the first thing they tell you when you put your gas mask on is take your bun out. So there's so many certain career fields. You know, I was prior enlisted security forces. Well, guess what? My, my bun, when I was wearing my Cavalier helmet, they don't, it's not designed for a bun. I'd have to, you know, take my hair down or get in trouble. And we've never relooked really at that. And so the women's initiative team, you know, we, we came together and said, you know, we need to relook, relook at this. The, the standard we have was in 1940, uh, and it was about not becoming a lesbian and not stealing somebody. We need to look at this. Op- there's operational uh, needs for this. And so we made the argument of operational needs, uh, readiness needs, and then also inclusivity. Um, you know, th- there's, there's different hair types. A lot of times, uh, you know, African-Americans and black women and ethnic women, they've had to straighten their hair to look more like Western women hair, because that's, that's kind of where we were, you know, sort of birthed out of is, is, is looking, you know, having that fine hair. So anyways, this is probably one of the, the biggest things for the wit right now. Um, and it's, uh, it's literally going to the chief's desks on, on Friday. And so this is a big thing for us because this will be a monumental moment when this changes. So we do expect changes will happen, uh, with, with the chief and they're going to be announced. So, that's the biggest one, but I do want to turn it over to Sam to kind of talk about what she's working because this, this is a, another very important issue. Thanks, Aaliyah. Um, so I am actually working on a 
a change to the joint travel regulation to allow for the reimbursement of the shipment of breast milk. Or we've recently, as of today, did some research and found out we should really be using the term transport of breast milk. So this is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have two children on um, both. I have nursed and I will never forget. I was at a training soon after I had my son and it was at the JAG school. Uh, there was a uh, at the time, a senior defense counsel there, a female who had also just had a baby. And I remember talking to her about, uh, you know, the struggles that she faced being a circuit defense counsel or a senior defense counsel, traveling, having to try cases, and then also being able to manage that with her desires to uh, feed her infant breast milk. There are plenty of AFSEs, ours included, where, you know, we do have a one-year TDY deferment, but that's not really an option for me as an ADC, right? So if I'm not traveling, all my cases are not here at post. So if I'm not traveling for courts, marshals and things like that, you know, it makes me wonder what's going to go in my OPR because um, I'm not able to do my job. So in order to do my job, I have no problem traveling, but to have that support from the Air Force or Department of Defense or the government um, to allow for the reimbursement of the cost that it would take to ship breast milk home to my child would be amazing. And in our opinion, it is essential. So we've looked at a couple different avenues. First, um, obviously, the change to the joint travel regulations for you that uh, have not perused the JTR lately. It's not an easy, it's not an easy thing. Um, you have to basically have all the services on board. So we have been liaisoning, um, trying to find the correct POCs and all the various services you know, Coast Guard included, Space Force included, Navy, Marine, and um, Army. They all have, uh, I, I believe, an equivalent of like a Barry Alice working group because it is mandated by law, but it's not always easy. There's not like a listing you can go to to find out who you should be talking to, right? And there's been a lot of debate on whether this is an issue uh, for medical to handle. So I've briefed uh, DHA, um, and SG, the SG community, because it is a it is a health impact, right? So if if you're a woman and, and you need to express breast milk, um, if you don't do it, you know you can get things like mastitis, which is a pretty significant infection, different things. And then also there's health benefits for both mother and baby for extended breastfeeding. So looking at um, the health impacts and will it lower uh, Tricare costs? Like if if uh, you know the, if there's studies that show that babies that are given breast milk for you know, the first year of life, do they have less occurrences of sickness or are they, are they sick less, different things like that. So that's where the SG and the DHA community have been involved. Um, we have briefed SA the SAF level. Uh, we have a couple WIT champions who are uh, senior leaders that basically help us push our initiatives forward. They are awesome. So we've briefed them. Um, I've talked to them. I, I can't even tell you the amount of knowledge I've learned about policy. And we've and we went down a bunch of different avenues. We we originally went down a contracting avenue, trying to use the Air Force Works program to partner with a company called Milk Stork, which is the leading company on breast milk shipment, to partner with them to kind of do a pilot program for the Air Force. Unfortunately, uh, we've recently found out that that may not work out how we would like. So we're back to the JTR revision. But even as early as this morning, I was working on this, and um, we've been partnered uh, with putting in contact. Uh, Major Tahina Montoya, who is the partner that's working with me on this, she's a reservist, was actually able to get us a POC at the State Department and found out, we found out that the uh, federal travel regulation, um, so like the big document that's above the JTR, actually allows for breast milk shipment. And the State Department actually has a policy, a written policy that allows for it. Um, essentially, 
what they need is all you what you need is is a, a memo from your doctor basically indicating that it's a special need um, and then they're they are actually and they are actively reimbursing their employees for transport of breast milk and whether that be shipping it home via a carrier or paying for any uh, nursing mommies that are listening, um, if you ever carried that huge thing of luggage with breast milk packed in it home with you and had to pay that extra baggage fee to have that extra bag, you know, this would this would cover all that. So even just as early as this morning, we found out a new way that we might be able to uh, make this happen. So learned a ton about policy, but that that's really what we have going on, just finding out how we can push this across across the finish line, because we do believe that it would be extremely impactful um, and we believe that, and that's supported by data. Um, a RAND study that was done in the Air Force based on retention of women, women actually said this work-life balance and the ability to have a, a breastfeeding relationship with their child was a reason that they separated. I know Major Montoya, the partner on my line of effort with me, that was one of her big reasons for going into the reserves. Um, so we believe that it will help retention. We believe that it is, you know, a readiness issue um, and, and it, it's an easy fix. So we're knocking on every door. We're, we're sounding, you know, talking to anybody that will listen about why, why this needs to happen. Um, hopefully we'll, we will see some movement. I've been working on this since I became involved. So uh, over a year now, I've um, been kind of pushing this along. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what I have going on. Just figuring out the policy, figuring out how we need to make this happen. Well, both um, fascinating insights there on, on just two issues, right, that you're, you're looking into with the hair policy and breastfeeding within WIT. And, and ladies, if you could c- correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it seems that the, the impetus of, of WIT and all these other teams is more or less the recruitment and retention uh, of different types of groups within the military. Is that a fair statement? I would say so. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily... There's obviously retention, and and right and the reason I say uh, right, right now retention's at the highest it's ever been. So we we don't necessarily have a retention problem, but we do have an inclusivity problem, right? And so if you ever want the minority to become even close to the majority, you have to relook at policies like this. And so that's really our goal is to keep some of the minority that we have. We we actually don't have we actually can recruit minorities in pretty well. Like, you know, for, for, if you look at the makeup of the U S what we bring in is actually pretty decent. We just can't retain minorities. So that, that, that is a key indicator that there's something that's making people get out. We can, we can recruit them, but we can't keep them. And so that's what we're really trying to dig deep and change and institutionalize um, some things like that Sam's working on so that women will stay in uh, because we've created, we've created an inclusive environment for them. Great, thank you. And I know in prep for this interview, we we discussed uh, kind of the the model or the process about how you even go through identifying what issues or triggers there are within your team's purview. Right? Could you kind of walk our listeners through that? Like, how do you even identify what an issue is, and kind of go through the steps of of that? So I'll tell you how I came up with mine. Right? It was a very a selfish reason, right? I, I was having to do it and it was, a, it's a lot, it's very stressful. And so I just brought it up to Ali. I was like, Hey, I want to do this. And we emailed about it. And that's generally how, how I've seen it play out at the level that I'm at is, you know, various Facebook groups. Um, we know that there's various Facebook groups and pages out there where Air Force members, both enlisted and officers are posting and people will post about their struggles and they will vent about the issues that they're seeing. And 
the wit, the way I characterize it, they have a very open door. Like if there's something you want to change and we will help make that happen. And so, or the, the wit allows you that platform to make it happen. And you're also surrounded with a group of diverse people who are there to back you and, and help make, you know, help you get to the finish line. So that, that's, that's how I got my initiative brought up is that I identified it and I was like, Hey, I want to change this. Anytime somebody has a problem, you know, we, we take it very serious. But the, the second thing that we do is, you know, not only do we listen sort of at the tactical level to what airmen are saying is we say, okay, great. You got this problem. Is it just you? Is this an isolated incident or is it multiple people? So the first thing we'll do is do some research and that may be just, you know, we put something on the Facebook forum to say, hey, is anybody else having this issue? So we go into data gathering then we do data gathering, see if this is just, you know, if this affects other airmen. And then we start putting together a proposal of how we can fix this. And usually, you know, all I say all roads lead back to the Pentagon headquarters, Air Force. And we look to see, OK, is there a policy that needs to be changed to help airmen or do we need to create a policy? Right. Sometimes there's there wasn't there was never a lactation policy for women. So we had to recreate we had to create something brand new. Sometimes we just need to change something. But we can't just take every idea. It has to be flushed out and it, there has to be ownership. And this is where how to be a volunteer. You know, I wish everybody came like Sam, you know, not only did she identify the problem, um, but then she, you know, she did the research on it and then she worked the policy on it. And so that takes a lot of work um, to do that. But that's usually how we first start out is identifying the problem, seeing who else it affects, researching it, and then identifying who owns the policy. You also had mentioned that you have senior, quote unquote, senior champions that assist when you need to, uh, I don't know, deal with policy or reach out to uh, senior leaders. Could you describe uh, that process and who these senior champions are comprised of? Yes, we're very lucky. Uh, we actually have three senior champions. We have Lieutenant General O'Brien. She is the A26 at headquarters Air Force. We have Miss Christy Nolta. She's a senior executive service, or civilian, excuse me. Uh, she's a GO equivalent, and she's in charge of the Secretary of the Air Force MRR. And then our third one is Miss Teresa Sanchez, also um, an SES, GO equivalent, and she's also in charge of A two six um, human resources talent management. And they really push things for us. So, for example, um, you know, sometimes when I reach out to an AO. Uh, they blow me off. They say, nope, you know, this goes back to that frozen middle. They'll say, nope, we, you know, we can't change this. This is too, too big. But if General O'Brien or an SES, you know, happens to email their boss, it's a little bit harder to ignore us. So they really help us move these things forward on actually getting the change done. And if I could also ask, what, what have been, in your opinion, some of your um, team's biggest successes and also biggest challenges? One of the biggest successes we've had is uh, we actually changed uh, the anthropometrics of aircraft. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, back in the 1950s and 60s, nobody thought women would fly. And so we actually designed aircraft only to fit the measurements of men. Uh, and the measurements of men and women are very different. And so we've actually changed policy now that if, you know, if the Air Force is going to design a new aircraft, it has to take in the anthropometric and the measurements of women. They have to be included in that. There's, you know, you cannot exclude 50% of the population from what you're going to recruit from. So I'm very proud. Uh, actually, it was the Lieutenant Colonel Jessica Ruttenberg. Uh, she led this effort. And that's one of, you know, I'm, I'm very proud that we've been able to change that. Uh, some of our challenges is, you know, one, getting volunteers and then getting, you know, senior leaders in the frozen middle to change. You know, a lot of times when we go to people, they don't think they're the frozen middle, but they are the frozen middle. 
And I always say, you know, how do we get to yes? Uh, and so that's the biggest challenge I have. And I know you mentioned the, the quote unquote frozen middle. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by that? Yeah. So, I, you know, I do. I just want to be very blunt about the, the frozen middle. There's a lot of people who want to say no. And a lot of people who don't want to change the institution, a lot of people who don't see the things that we see from, you know, for example, like a women's perspective. And so it's very hard to convince people there's a problem when they've never, ever experienced it. And so I would just, you know, I guess what I would call to everybody is just because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean um, it's not a problem for somebody else. And, and that's what I mean by the frozen middle is just everybody is so quick to say no. If I could, you know, if I was queen for a day, I would just have everybody say yes, yes, but, you know, maybe there's some limitations and I, I totally understand that, but how can we change so that we can, you know, beat China, beat Russia, still be the superpower that we are, because this all really goes back to readiness and, and winning against our adversaries. And Major Sliney, from your perspective, what, what, what would be your biggest uh, successes and challenges that you've seen? I, I've witnessed a lot of successes uh, from, from the WIT, um, you know, small things such as I, I, it was identified on a Facebook group that, you know, women's exams, some ROTC debts at colleges were requiring that females pay for additional women's exams. Some were not. And apparently there was some breach in policy. Well, uh, somebody says this is a problem. People got involved and it was fixed. So there's those quick fixes. For me personally, with my initiative, outside of just educating, I feel like we have educated a lot of people and we have a lot of a lot more people on our on our side now. There, there hasn't actually been a change yet, but I, I hope that it is coming. Um, but on that front, I, I would echo the, the the sentiments about the frozen middle. I found I, since I've came into the Air Force, right, I, I've always heard this thing about innovation, right? Where the Air Force we need to innovate. Uh, you know, and the CGOs at, at the time when I was a captain, lieutenant, right? See, you, you are the workhorses of, of the Air Force. Give us your ideas. Give us these bright ideas. But I never felt like I felt like that's what people were asking us for. But when we would give ideas, it would always be shut down. And at the time, I didn't you know, hadn't been in long enough to really know why. You know, it was kind of confusing to me coming in and being like, people are asking us for ideas and innovate, but then they just get shut down. Um, now that I've gotten a little bit more involved with the wit, um, it's kind of been more cemented in my mind that, yeah, there is that frozen middle where there's just this, it's like above where I'm at, right? Like I'm, I'm, the, I'm the action officer, I'm the change maker, uh, or trying to make change. And then there's like this group of people there in the middle, because when I've briefed like DHA uh, leaders, when I've briefed Miss Knoll to one of our champions or, or General O'Brien, one of our champions, they are all on board. They're, how do we need to make this happen? there's this group right in the middle where it just feels like their initial reaction is no. And I still haven't identified whether it's because they get flooded with information so much that that is their initial reaction is no, we're going to say no. And then we're just going to see who's the most persistent. And then we'll take the most persistent seriously, or whether it's that it's a generational thing to where these people are later on in their career. So they're comfortable and that's just how they like things to be. Or maybe they were once like me wanting to make change and they just got told no so much that they're jaded at this point. I don't really know the answer to that, but it is a real thing. And that's that is the, that is the most frustrating part of it. And it's, it's very frustrating also 
Um, I think the Air Force is much better about it than than some of the other services because I've talked to some of the other represented other people in other services and even with breast milk shipment, you know, I've had them straight up tell me like this isn't a need. Our women don't need this. Our women don't go TDY within the first year because everybody uses the TDY deferment. I, I've asked for data. I mean, I've done things as far as like, can you give me the data and I will evaluate it for you to see if this is a need. Because um, for my specific initiative, I, I have to be able to, you know, it's it's a it's the JTR, so all services have to be on board. Um, but it's that initial like, we don't need this. It's not a problem. But it's usually people at that level, especially for my initiative, they are not childbearing years. Um, usually their children are much older and maybe, you know, for, for breastfeeding, maybe that is a, the, a group where breastfeeding wasn't uh, as popular or as uh, pushed as it is for, for, you know, people currently having children. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but it is a, it is a definite real thing that you, you have to get, you have to get beyond, you got to break through that glass ceiling to get to where you need to go. Well, great insights there. Thank you uh, for elaborating on that. Um, as you ladies know, this podcast focuses on leadership and innovation, and I, I'm just curious to see if you might be able to offer any insights on how joining a volunteer organization such as WIT has helped you grow in your personal development and or leadership. This is Sam. Um, so I think it. I have learned so much about policy change. You know, I'm legal, so I, I know the law stuff behind it, which has helped me tremendously in, in doing this. But I've never I didn't know what A6 was or A2 was. And I'm, I'm not even going to try to act like I did. Like I knew those there were letters out there with numbers, but I didn't know what they did. And I didn't always know who to contact to make these changes. So I've, I've learned so much, which has also equipped me for when I'm leading others, I can direct them to who they may need to engage with um, the networking aspect. uh I have, you know, met so many people outside of my AFSC as a JAG that I can now lean on to get mentorship to ask for their advice on when I'm, you know, facing issues or just when I'm trying to solve a problem. So, so as a JAG, I feel like that has grown me from a leadership role and equipped me to to lead others because I just know more about the Air Force and how it, how it operates. On that front, and as far as innovation goes, it's so inspiring just to see what has been accomplished, and, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what is going to be accomplished, especially given the diversity inclusion pushes that we're seeing across the DOD. It's just awe-inspiring to see that happen. And that's really what motivates me to get, every time I get those no's, right? For every 10 no's, I get that one person that's super excited and they're like, you know, thank you for doing this because you're going to make my life easier or you're going to make my troop life easier. And that, that really makes it all worth it. Um, and especially seeing it when your colleagues accomplish, accomplish major things as well. So I think for me, the, the biggest thing is uh, how do you lead a group of volunteers, right? So it's a whole, I think, a whole different skill set. You know, I've had the privilege of being, you know, a flight commander, director of operations. Things are much easier, right? <laughs> because there's a chain of command and there's authority. So, uh, and also try leading people who outrank you, right? So you have everybody from an airman to a colonel on your team. And so I've had to use every kind of different skill you can think of. And I have zero authority. Um, all I have is, hey, if you want to make a change, do this. So I've, I've definitely, I think, different skills and different approaches. But I'm also able to be, I think, more, you know, more of who I am personally, right? Because I don't, I don't have any authority. Um, so it, you can kind of be yourself a little bit more, I think. And that's been really rewarding for me. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. I think this has been a great overview on uh, the program. Um, I just have two uh, 
concluding questions. The first is, are there any additional resources where listeners can learn more about either getting involved with WIT or um, any of these other um, teams or any other resources on today's topic? Yeah, so we actually are on the Air Force portal. Uh, if you go in the Air Force portal and put in uh, Air Force Women's Initiative Team, we should pop up. Uh, there's also a Facebook page called the Air Force Women's Initiative Team. Anybody can join or you can send me an email and I can add you to our email distro and our monthly calendar invites. And if you want to attend, great. If not, you can pass them off to somebody else as well. And for both ladies, um, final question, any final tips or parting words that you'd like to leave with our listeners that either maybe we didn't get a chance to address or you just like to focus on on today's uh, topic? I really encourage everyone to like not walk past a problem. That's probably one of the biggest things I've learned. If you see a problem, even if you know it's going to be hard to address it, and I know in the JAG Corps, right, we always teach this, how do we get to yes? One of the vivid things I remember from JSOC, it really rings true in this arena. Like there is a way, almost always a way to get to yes, and you may encounter a lot of no's, but you can get there with enough time and persistence. And most often, I think if you've identified the problem, somebody else has faced it or will face it as well. So it's really just about making this a better Air Force for everyone, a more diverse, more inclusive Air Force for everyone. So if you see that problem, don't just walk past it. I challenge you to just take it on and try to make try to make the Air Force better for everybody. I couldn't have said it any better. I think Sam nailed it. Uh, I just, you know, Rick, I do want to say thanks to you because what you're doing is also innovative and you're giving us a platform to, to share what we're doing. And so it really takes everybody coming together to help. So thank you for being part of our team and helping us out. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I know I've learned a lot here and hopefully our listeners did as well. And again, if you all want to get involved with WIT or any of these um, programs, we'll make sure to make that stuff available on our website once that is uh, redesigned. So ladies, thank you so much again for coming on to the show. And uh, that'll be it for today's interview. Thank you for having us. Have a good day. Thanks, Rick. That concludes our interview with Major Nadim and Major Sliney. I would first like to publicly thank Major Nadim and Major Sliney for their patience in the publication of this episode. It took a few months from the original recording to final publication due to multiple factors, but I'm happy to announce that post-recording, as most now know, AFI 36-2903 on dress and personal appearance of Air Force personnel was updated in early 2021 with many of WIT's recommendations on female hair standards, accessories, and styles. So for all those grateful female airmen, you can thank WIT and Major Nadim's team for all their efforts. Here are my top three takeaways from the interview. Number one, volunteering is a great way to grow as a leader. Volunteering is a key action verb behind one of the three Air Force core values, service before self. Volunteering puts others ahead of self. It's giving of one's time and talent to assist in a bigger cause. And while this can be a sacrifice, the old adage of the more you give, the greater you receive also typically holds true. This concept is sometimes called the reciprocity principle, and that what you give comes back to you like a boomerang, often at levels much greater than your original effort. And as discussed by both our guests, their volunteer work through the Women's Initiative team opened them up to new skill sets 
meaningful relationships, and genuine experiences that they otherwise would have likely never been able to do. Major Nadim said volunteering for WIT forced her to learn new and valuable skill sets, including how to lead a group of volunteers, how to lead others that outrank her, and how to communicate on a more personal basis. And Major Sliney highlighted how much she's learned about DOD and Air Force policy change through WIT. She also has found it very inspiring to see what others have accomplished through the program, which in turn has built greater motivation for her to make a lasting difference and persevere through resistance in her team's initiatives for greater common good. Number two, you don't walk past the problem anymore. Both Major Nadim and Major Sliney mentioned this. Volunteering with an organization like WIT allowed them to take action on issues and not just sit on the sidelines complaining about those issues. Major Sliney went on to say, it's about how to get to yes. She's found there's usually a way to get to yes with enough time and persistence. If you've identified the problem, others likely have a problem like that too. And if you can fix that issue, you're effectively making the entire organization better for all. And number three, implementing change is a systematic process. Often when we face challenges or issues that seem unfair, we immediately throw up our proverbial hands in the air. We may complain, vent to friends and colleagues and the like. And this is likely just human nature. But as one Supreme Court justice said, if you want to effectuate change, quit complaining and start thinking. It takes a lot of work to develop sound ideas to ignite positive change. And once you internalize this fundamental principle, it's time to implement the process of systematic change. At its core, it comes down to about six steps. Number one, identify the problem. Number two, conduct research and analysis to clearly delineate the problem and not just the consequences of the problem. Number three, identify the stakeholders or policyholders. Number four, work to get buy-in and feedback. Number five, execute the change. And number six, analyze the results to loop back into the process for improvement. And when you get that initial resistance from the frozen middle, just know that it's part of the process. Continue on, remain professional, and work until a natural resolution is found. And remember, it's tough many times to convince folks of a problem if they've never personally experienced that problem before. So look for new and innovative ways to demonstrate this. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you like this episode, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform and consider subscribing to the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast. We welcome your feedback. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. This helps us grow, innovate, and develop an even better JAG Corps. Until next time, nothing from this show or any others could be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issue. Nothing from this show is endorsed by the federal government, Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of our guests and hope. Thank you.